everybody. My name is Ellen Schaub, and I have the privilege of being our elementary kids pastor here for our church family. I am so bummed to not be with you this morning because we have the best kids and kids team in the whole world. I miss you guys this morning, but I know that wherever you are today, whether you're worshiping with your roommate or your family or your life group, we are going to encounter Jesus digitally together this morning. So, today we are continuing our Practicing the Power series, and our topic for today is going to be the key to everything. What we're talking about today has the power to give you restoration and redemption, the power to give you identity and belonging, and the power to give your life vision and purpose. Can you guess what it is? It's the gospel! We are talking about the story of what Jesus did for us, how he redeemed us from our brokenness and sin and restored us into fellowship with God. So we're going to look at the power of the gospel in these three lenses today. So it has the power to give you restoration and redemption, identity and belonging, and vision and purpose for your life. Are you ready? First off, we're going to start with how the gospel redeems us and restores us. This is the story of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. How we are sinful and need a savior, and Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for us. So how we're going to start today is I'm going to share this message with you um, in an easy, reproducible format that then you could use to share this message with someone else. Now, before your eyes glaze over thinking we've heard this a million times, we know the gospel message, or you're tempted to fast forward to the new stuff, I'm going to share with you some statistics about the gospel that will scare you into listening, okay? <laughs> Tom Rainer, who's the founder of Lifeway Resources, did research on the topic of Christians' understanding of the gospel and the American church today. So he did a bunch of research asking self-identifying American Christians to explain the gospel message, and he published his results in age brackets. So I'm going to show you that today, the percentage of self-identifying American Christians who can clearly articulate the gospel. So if you were born before 1946, so that means you're over 73 years old, according to his survey, 65% of those people could articulate the gospel message. Next age bracket, if you were born between 1946 and 1964, so that makes you 73 to 55 years old, 35% could explain the gospel. Moving on down, if you were born between 1965 and 1976, so that makes you 54 to 42 years old, 15% could articulate the gospel. And then, the final age bracket, millennials, watch out. If you were born between 1977 and 1994, so if you're between 41 to 25 years old, 4% could say the gospel message. 4%! That is horrible, right? It kills me about this um, information that they're not surveying Hindus, asking Hindus what do Christians believe. They're asking you, Christian, what do you believe? And if you're under 41, there's only a 4% chance that you could actually explain this correctly to someone else. This is a crisis of the church, you guys. Just to bring these numbers a little closer to home, if we apply these statistics to our church body... 
that would make only about 20 people in our church able to articulate the story of the gospel. Isn't that wild? So I want you just to have a moment and ask yourself, which, which category are you in? Are you one of the 4% that could clearly and easily say, yes, I know what I believe? Or maybe are you statistically in the vast majority who don't feel confident in how to explain what they believe? So that is our goal for today. We're taking this message seriously because this problem is serious. Um, 1 Peter 3.15 says to always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. How can we be ready to share if we don't know what to say? This image from 1 Peter, hearing that always be ready to share, the image of being ready reminds me of an unfortunate time in my life when I was on our high school track team. <laughs> I was horrible at running track. I was by far the worst runner on our team and probably in the whole city. <laughs> I remember after one race, my coach, trying to think of something encouraging to say to me, said, well, Ellen, at least you kept up with the pack. And I was like, that's not even true. Like, here's the pack, and then here's me kind of crossing the finish line by myself. I was horrible. But um, I do remember one tip that our track coach gave us that I think applies to this. He said, when you're on the starting block and you're waiting for the shot to go off and the race to start, you're supposed to flex all of your muscles, like even in your arms and your shoulders and everything, so that when the shot goes off, boom, you're already ready to release into the race. And I kind of like imagining that with this First Peter uh, command to be ready to give an answer. What if we kind of walked around our lives like we're flexed on the starting block? Like we are ready and as soon as that opportunity comes, we're ready to share. Can you imagine that level of readiness? It's like the story of Jesus is just on the tip of your tongue and as soon as an opportunity arises, boom, you're in the race. Um, last summer, I went on the family mission trip to Tijuana with our church, and it was a great time, and every day we were doing street evangelism. So we are just walking up to strangers, trying to start spiritual conversations, talk to them about Jesus, and pray for them. And all around on our team, amazing things are happening. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. We're seeing miracles happen. But no one I was talking to was interested in Jesus at all. I was like up against a brick wall while the rest of our team is seeing amazing things happen. But on the final day of the trip, we did our drama presentation of the gospel. And then Brian Burris and I walked up to these two ladies who were watching and Brian's translating for me. And I'm asking them, you know, Hey, have y'all ever heard about Jesus? And they say, no. And so I ask, would you like to hear about them, him? And they say, yes. And I've never gotten this far before. <laughs> so I just have this moment seared in my memory when the two ladies looked at me and Brian looked at me and I was like, I don't know what to say. My mind is like completely blank. And you guys, I know this story. I've actually staked my eternal soul on this being true. But in the moment when the race is going off, I am not flexed on the starting block. <laughs> I'm more like, somewhere behind the starting line, like, I'm still stretching, I'm tying my shoes, like, 
Someday, I'm expecting to run this race, but I didn't really think it was gonna start right then. So when the, when the starting shot went off and everyone's looking at me ready to hear the hope of Jesus, I was scrambling. I didn't know where to start or what to say. So I just opened my mouth and thankfully the Holy Spirit uh, took over. <laughs> and regardless of my unpreparedness, God moved in that moment. And those two women gave their hearts to Jesus and got connected to the church in Tijuana. Praise God. You know, it's about him. It's not revolving around us anyways. But that experience did give me some empathy for these 96% of American believers who maybe aren't confident in how to share the hope they have. And it motivated me to increase my readiness for next time. It's time to share. So that is what we're about to do today. We are hoping that those statistics will not apply to our people. We are going for 100% of us by the end of today being confident in what the gospel has the power to do in our lives and how we could confidently explain it to someone else. So what we're going to do is I'm going to share with you guys a tool for how to share the gospel with someone else. It's called the three circles method. So, uh, um, there's tons of ways to share. You can do anything you want, but we like this one. We feel like it's simple and clear, and we want to leave you equipped and ready to share with someone else. So what we're going to do is I'm going to explain the Three Circles Gospel twice. So the first time I go through it, just listen and uh, just soak it in yourself. And then the second time we go through it, we'll have you pull out some paper and do it with me. Okay, so are you ready? <laughs> If you have spent even one day on planet Earth, you can tell that it is broken. There is evil and violence, disease, coronavirus, racism, injustice, poverty, selfishness, bitterness, anger. Brokenness is all around our world and it's inside of us. But if you also look around the same world, you can see beautiful and pure and good things. Think of like the laughter of a child or a beautiful sunset, a healthy marriage, or that perfect 75 degrees and sunny day after a long winter. These beautiful and good things are remnants of God's perfect design for our world. God is our holy and creative and generous and wise and fun and good and loving Father. He created everything that we can see to be absolutely perfect. No sickness, no death, no devastation. And his crown jewel of creation was mankind, people like you and me. His dream was to have the whole world to be full of his image bearers, a people set apart for himself to love him and make him the king. And with God as the king of earth, um, people get to live in relationship with him, obeying him, trusting him, loving him, and in perfect relationship with each other and enjoy the perfect world that he made for us. However, Ever since the very first people, mankind has consistently chosen not to allow God to be their king and instead to make themselves their king. 
to choose to go their own way and see what is fun or satisfying sounding to them, to reject God's perfect design. And all of this uh, rejection and life outside of God's design is called sin. And sin results in death and in all the brokenness that we can see around us. So every man, every person on earth has eventually chosen brokenness. And now that we're here, we are looking for a way out. So some people try to escape brokenness using success. They think if I can just get a good enough job or make enough money, then I'll be important. Some people try to escape using relationships. Like if I can just get enough people to like me, then I'll matter. Some people try to escape by drowning their brokenness with pleasure and fun, alcohol, drugs, entertainment, something to make them forget their brokenness. And some people even try to escape using religion. Like if I'm just good enough or do enough good things, I'll cover over my brokenness and I'll be good enough. And there's thousands of other ways of escape, but all of them are really bungee cords pulling us back into brokenness. They can never fully satisfy. In fact, the only way out of brokenness is to never sin in the first place, to always and only obey God and make God our king and always live within his perfect design. But if you look at your hearts and at the hearts of people around you, you can tell that no human has ever chosen that. We have all chosen brokenness and now we're trapped. But this breaks God's heart. This is not the life that he created for us, and this is not his purpose for us. So when we were trapped in brokenness and we couldn't get out, God sent us a way out, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is God's son. He is fully God, and he came to earth as a man to live in our brokenness. And Jesus lived an absolutely perfect life. He never deviated from God's design. He perfectly obeyed God and trusted him. And Jesus is the only human to have ever deserved perfect relationship with God. But instead of enjoying his reward for himself, Jesus decided to switch with us. So Jesus died and was separated from God taking our punishment that we deserved. And then he rose from the dead and defeated death and our enemy once and for all. And so now Jesus is offering us this gift that if we would be willing to turn away from our brokenness and believe that Jesus's death took our punishment away and accept his gift of eternal life, that Jesus promises to restore us back into God's perfect design. So he is going to forgive our sins, rescue us from this cycle of brokenness, restore us into relationship with God, and fill us with his Holy Spirit, the very presence of God living inside of us, walking with us every day, talking with us every day. We're experiencing the relationship with God that we were always meant to experience. And the Holy Spirit in us gives us power to grow more like Jesus and and grow in our relationship with him and also go back into brokenness to rescue other people the way that we have been rescued. So I used to live 
in brokenness in this circle, I used to be really insecure. I was so worried about what other people thought about me, and I just thought if people liked me or people loved me, then I would feel full and satisfied, but it was never enough. I was always searching for that next person's affirmation or that next person's affection, and I was never satisfied. But when I met Jesus and I understood the magnitude of his love for me, that he would do this for me, and I accepted his gift of right relationship with God, God healed me from all that insecurity and filled me instead with a confidence in who he made me to be, a joy as a result of his love for me, and a freedom from all that fear that I used to live in. And now I love to go back into brokenness and to share with other people the joy and confidence and freedom that I've experienced in God. So I want to ask you, every person on earth lives in one of these two circles. And I want to ask you, which one do you think that you're in? And then from there, if they're hungry, you can answer more questions that they have and hopefully pray with them to accept Jesus. And boom, that is the gospel. So This is the story of the redemption that we can receive through Jesus. So this took like five-ish minutes for me to explain. And the circles is really a tool for you to help keep you on track. Make sure you're saying all the things you wanted to say. And it's also helpful for the visual learners. So what we're going to do now is pause this video until everyone has a piece of paper and a pen, and we're going to watch this explanation again, and you guys all write it out with me. So um, this is going to activate your visual, audio, and kinesthetic learning at the same time. So um, we're going to go through it again in in the hopes that we're going to all be confident in our ability to share this. Okay, so, are you ready? (laughs) If you have spent even one day on planet Earth, you can tell that it is broken. There is evil and violence, disease, coronavirus, racism, injustice, poverty, selfishness, bitterness, anger. Brokenness is all around our world and it's inside of us. But if you also look around the same world, you can see beautiful and pure and good things. Think of like the laughter of a child or a beautiful sunset, a healthy marriage, or that perfect 75 degrees and sunny day after a long winter. These beautiful and good things are remnants of God's perfect design for our world. God is our holy and creative and generous and wise and fun and good and loving Father. He created everything that we can see to be absolutely perfect. No sickness, no death, no devastation. And his crown jewel of creation was mankind, people like you and me. His dream was to have the whole world to be full of his image bearers, a people set apart for himself to love him and make him the king. 
and with God as the king of earth, um, people get to live in relationship with him, obeying him, trusting him, loving him, and in perfect relationship with each other and enjoy the perfect world that he made for us. However, ever since the very first people, mankind has consistently chosen not to allow God to be their king and instead to make themselves their king to choose to go their own way and see what is fun or satisfying sounding to them, to reject God's perfect design. And all of this uh, rejection life outside of God's design is called sin. And sin results in death and in all the brokenness that we can see around us. So every man, every person on earth has eventually chosen brokenness. And now that we're here, we are looking for a way out. So some people try to escape brokenness using success. They think if I can just get a good enough job or make enough money, then I'll be important. Some people try to escape using relationships. Like if I can just get enough people to like me, then I'll matter. Some people try to escape by drowning their brokenness with pleasure and fun, alcohol, drugs, entertainment, something to make them forget their brokenness. And some people even try to escape escape using religion. Like if I'm just good enough or do enough good things, I'll cover over my brokenness and I'll be good enough. And there's thousands of other ways of escape, but all of them are really bungee cords pulling us back into brokenness. They can never fully satisfy. In fact, the only way out of brokenness is to never sin in the first place, to always and only obey God and make God our king and always live within his perfect design. But if you look at your hearts and at the hearts of people around you, you can tell that no human has ever chosen that. We have all chosen brokenness and now we're trapped. But this breaks God's heart. This is not the life that he created for us, and this is not his purpose for us. So when we were trapped in brokenness and we couldn't get out, God sent us a way out, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is God's son. He is fully God, and he came to earth as a man to live in our brokenness. And Jesus lived an absolutely perfect life. He never deviated from God's design. He perfectly obeyed God and trusted him. And Jesus is the only human to have ever deserved perfect relationship with God. But instead of enjoying his reward for himself, Jesus decided to switch with us. So Jesus died and was separated from God taking our punishment that we deserved. And then he rose from the dead and defeated death and our enemy once and for all. And so now Jesus is offering us this gift that if we would be willing to turn away from our brokenness and believe that Jesus's death took our punishment away and accept his gift of eternal life, that Jesus promises to restore us back into God's perfect design. So he is going to forgive our sins, rescue us from this cycle of brokenness, restore us into relationship with God, and fill us 
with his Holy Spirit, the very presence of God living inside of us, walking with us every day, talking with us every day. We're experiencing the relationship with God that we were always meant to experience. And the Holy Spirit in us gives us power to grow more like Jesus and and grow in our relationship with him and also go back into brokenness to rescue other people the way that we have been rescued. So I used to live in brokenness in this circle. I used to be really insecure. I was so worried about what other people thought about me, and I just thought if people liked me or people loved me, then I would feel full and satisfied, but it was never enough. I was always searching for that next person's affirmation or that next person's affection, and I was never satisfied. But when I met Jesus and I understood the magnitude of his love for me, that he would do this for me, and I accepted his gift of right relationship with God, God healed me from all that insecurity and filled me instead with a confidence in who he made me to be, a joy as a result of his love for me, and a freedom from all that fear that I used to live in. And now I love to go back into brokenness and to share with other people the joy and confidence and freedom that I've experienced in God. So I want to ask you, every person on earth lives in one of these two circles. And I want to ask you, which one do you think that you're in? Okay, you've made it through two times. High five someone next to you. You are ready to share the hope that you have. Um, I would love to challenge you to practice this drawing sometime this week with someone in your life. So grab a spouse or a roommate or a coworker or a friend and say, hey, I'm learning to be ready to share the hope that I have. Would you mind if I shared with you the gospel message so I can practice? And the more time you invest in practicing this message, the more easily it'll be on the tip of your tongue and you'll be flexed on the starting block, ready to share. Now we've seen that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has the power to redeem you from your brokenness and restore you into right relationship with God. And now we're going to look at the next thing the gospel has the power to do, which is rewire the way you view God and the way you view yourself to give you an identity and a place to belong. So as we're transitioning into looking at God's heart for us in this way, we're going to look at a few verses and see what God has to say about our identity when we rejoin him in his kingdom. So I'm going to read a few verses for you and put them up on the screen. And I want you to watch what's the imagery that God's using when he's describing people that have accepted Jesus's gift of life. Okay, first one is Romans 8, 4 through 15. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Next, Isaiah 66, 13. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Hebrews 12, 6 through 7, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline, God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? 
Okay, so who are we to God? Not slaves, not orphans, but sons. This is incredible to me that God would choose this parent-child relationship to describe his relationship with us. Like how a mother feels about her baby is how the God of creation, the most powerful being in the universe, feels about you. There is no love on earth like the love of a parent and a child. Um, One memory that sticks out from my growing up is that I am a verbal processor. (laughs) So I would come home from school and my mom, she has four kids and a full-time job. She'd be working in the kitchen, doing laundry, getting stuff done. And I would come home from school and she would ask, how is your day? And I would just word vomit everything to her. Big things, small things, she cared to hear it all. I talked with her about everything I thought about, everything I'd done, who I sat with at lunch, processed all my decisions with her. Who should I ask to the Sadie Hawkins dance? What should I major in in college? All the things uh, she was always eager to hear. And I took that for granted until I went to college and I realized that my roommate didn't quite care as much about my life as my mom did. It took me a couple weeks before I noticed, hey, I think that how was your day, Ellen, is really more of a polite thing from my roommate and not a, here, Ellen, spill your guts about all your thoughts about the world. (laughs) And my roommate was great. She loved me, but there was just something about the deep care about my life that really only my mom (laughs) could give me. That was a small thing that taught me a big thing, uh, revealed to me in a new way the depth of my mom's love for me. And that is the kind of love that God is extending to us. He's saying that to us. I want to be your father. Treat me as your dad. You're my kid. I care about these things in your life. Can you imagine being a kid like that in God's kingdom, like so secure in your place in this family, so confident that you are loved and accepted no matter what, that you just walk in the door, drop your stuff, and dump everything in your heart out to God. Psalm 62 says, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. He wants this kind of relationship with us. And this is just a small taste of the depth of what he feels about you. That people who claim Jesus as their savior, God is inviting them into this kind of family. Like the kind of family that a loving parent would give to their kid. Where you are safe and secure no matter what. Where we promise to provide for your needs. Where the details of your life are cared about. You can expect unconditional forgiveness and love forever. This is what God's inviting us into. And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, boom, we are not just forgiven. We are a child of God. Actually, let's see, when Jesus offers salvation for you, it's a gift. So it's already paid for. It's yours for the taking. He's offering it freely to you, but the gift doesn't belong to you until you reach out and take it. You have to actively receive the gift in order for it to be yours. So it's the same way here with this father heart of God. God, this is true about you, whether you believe it or not, that God is inviting you into sonship and for him to be your father. But you have to posture your heart to receive this gift and actually accept and believe and live your life like this is true. It's the invitation he's offering to you.
But when we get down to it and look at how we live and look at how we relate to God, sometimes it seems like we're not fully accepting this love that God is offering to us. I, even though it's a free gift he gave me and the Bible is screaming about his father's heart towards me, I can really struggle to relate to God as my father. Sometimes I don't see my place in the kingdom as a home where I'm accepted and loved no matter what. And I can instead see the kingdom as a place where I need to prove myself. I need to strive and perform and hope someone notices me and gives me a place like that I could earn. Or sometimes I don't see uh, God as a father who promises to provide for me. And instead, I can get really worried about, are my needs going to get taken care of? Or is God going to see me? I need to look out for myself. Or sometimes I am not secure in God's unwavering love for me. And I can see other people getting celebrated and honored and feel jealous or feel resentful, like they're taking away affirmation or affection that could have belonged to me. Or sometimes I even struggle to uh, be afraid, like God is going to be disappointed in me or angry in me. So I isolate myself from him. And instead of pouring out my heart to him or confessing sin to community, I like hide my sin away and hope that nobody sees it. Can you guys relate to any of these feelings? It's like there's warring attitudes within us where our heads might say, no, God's our father, he loves me, but maybe our hearts aren't really accepting it or believing or living like it's true. And I just want to say for all of us today, if you have accepted the restoration and redemption of Jesus, the identity of God as your father and the belonging in his kingdom is true of you. Any lingering feelings of doubt or insecurity or worry or fear, that, those are lies like a remnant of who you used to be. And we can declare in the name of Jesus that this is what's true about you, that you are invited into a family where you confidently belong, and you can be so free, free of all that insecurity and doubt and posturing um, and fear, and instead you can freely just accept the love that Jesus has for you, and you can Stand firm in your identity as a child and your belonging in this family, and you are free to give that love away. Amen? Jesus, free us from the lies we're holding on to. Okay, our last piece today is that the gospel has the power to give your life vision and purpose. Because this incredible forgiveness that Jesus offers us and this incredible family that we belong to is not meant for just us. The gospel is meant to multiply. In fact, God's heart is for the whole world to be full of his image bearers, a people set apart for himself who are living in perfect relationship with him in his perfect design for the world. It is all over the Bible, this vision of God. Let me read you just a few a few times in the Bible when God talks about his desire that his people multiply. It starts off In the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 1, his first command to people is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He then makes the same promise to Abraham in Genesis 22. He says, I will surely bless you and multiply your offspring as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. 
Then in the New Testament, Jesus commands us in the same way in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey what I've commanded. The vision then continues on through the early church when Paul encourages them in 2 Timothy that the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Do you see that? Disciples make disciples make disciples. The tragedy of today, though, is that a third of the earth still has no access to Jesus and no one to tell them his good news. So our incredible mission from Jesus as his sons and daughters who've encountered his love and experienced his goodness is to share this good news with others and rescue them the way that we have been rescued. We were made for this. Whether you feel gifted in evangelism or not, whether you feel like you're a good speaker or not, whether you even have done this before or not, we as God's people are his image bearers. We are his physical manifestations of his goodness and his love and his forgiveness in the world. And this truth of the restoration, redemption, identity, and belonging is inside of you. Even if you feel nervous or like you're not qualified to share, the Holy Spirit's power in you is making you equipped to make disciples. We are God's plan A for reaching the whole world, that we as his disciples would multiply to the people close to us and then to the people close to them and the people close to them and the people close to them until the whole world has heard. I want to read you an excerpt from a book called Spiritual Multiplication in the Real World by Bob McNabb, which is a vision that I think we as Antioch Dallas can get really excited about. He says, Jesus discipled 12 men and trained them to reproduce. What would happen if you decided to do the same? Let's look at what would happen in 12 years if your goal was just to win one person to Christ per year and train them to do the same. At the end of the first year, there would be two of you seeking to multiply. If you both led someone to Christ and trained them to do the same the next year, then there would be four. After three years, then there would be eight. It's not huge, but stay with me. After six years, there would be 64. And after 12 years, there would be 4,092. That is growth. You would have personally only discipled 12 people, but you would have impacted thousands. God can do much more through you than he actually does with you. So wow, you guys, can you imagine in 12 years having 4,000 new believers just through your life? That's like multiple churches, right? If you committed to that for 12 years. What if your whole life group committed to that together? In 12 years, we would definitely get to 10,000 groups. What if our whole church committed to that together, that for the next 12 years, we're going to seek to be disciple-making disciples? In 12 years, there would be over 2 million new disciples in Dallas just from our church. World evangelization doesn't feel so far off, does it? Reaching billions of people for Jesus, isn't that crazy when every disciple is seeking to multiply disciple makers in that context? God's plan is going to work, right? And what you do matters. 
Even if you think that just investing in this one person, discipling this one person, isn't going to make much of a difference, by that rule of multiplication, it definitely is. Every soul is so precious to God. And look at what he could do through one person or one mustard seed or just a few loaves of bread. He wants to do something huge, and it's going to take us taking intentional steps to join that race and be a part of it. Because it's going to take an attitude of readiness, of being flexed on the starting block and ready to share for us to see that kind of disciple making happen in our city. If we're hanging out behind the starting line, kind of like I was in Tijuana, like we're waiting and if the perfect opportunity arises, sure, I'll share. Maybe if a perfect stranger walks up to me and says, what must I do to be saved? Sure, Lord, I'll share the gospel with them. We might not see a lot of opportunities, right? But what if we woke up every day and laced up our shoes and got on the starting block and said, Lord, I am flexed up. (laughs) Your message is on the tip of my tongue. You just need to point me in the right direction. And boom, I'm joining the race. It's probably going to take intentionality and focus and prioritization to really make 12 disciples over the next 12 years. You might need to get a group of friends around you together to pursue this together. You'll probably need to pray a lot (laughs) that God will soften the hearts of people around you. You may have to reorganize your schedule to get around lost people and invest in these relationships, invite them to church and life group, and teach them about the Bible. But isn't it going to be worth it, you guys? This is what we were made for, and this will give your life the vision, and the purpose that you're looking for. Because we were made to encounter Jesus and receive redemption and restoration that he offers us, then to experience this insane love and joy and acceptance that comes from our identity as sons and daughters of Jesus and belonging to this family, and then to receive Jesus's heart and care about what he cares about and run to see people who were stranded by sin rescued to life and liberty in Christ. Isn't it going to be worth it for us to leverage our lives to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Amen. This is what we were made for, you guys. So as we end, before we go on with our day, I just want to ask everyone to take a second and ask God, who is the one person that I could invest in this year? If we're not intentional about this, it'll, this opportunity will probably just float right past us. But wouldn't it be cool if in 12 years, when there's millions of new believers through Dallas, for us to all look back on today and think, you know what, 12 years ago, I stepped out of my comfort zone and I initiated a conversation with someone even though I felt insecure or nervous and God was faithful to do what he's gonna do. Um, And we could see God do amazing things in our midst if each of us will take an intentional step to obey. So let's all ask Jesus right now, who's that one person that you've put in my life whose heart is soft um, and who's ready to experience the power of the gospel, who's ready to receive restoration and redemption, identity and belonging and vision and purpose of through for their lives through the power of the gospel he wants to do big things through us church let's pray jesus thank you for your presence with us today thank you for this incredible gospel story that changes everything 
God, thank you that you were willing to take the first step towards us, that when we were stuck in brokenness, you didn't leave us there, but instead you provided a way out through Jesus. Thank you for complete forgiveness um, and the chance to live life to the fullest with you. God, thank you that you call yourself our Father. God, would we be freed from lingering insecurities and lies that are holding us back from our identity, and would we just soak and revel in your presence presence, God, and your love for us that's even bigger than a father's love for their kids. And Jesus, we want to be a part of what you're doing in Dallas and in the world. Would you speak to each of us right now, Jesus, who's that one person that I could take this message to? Who's that one person that needs to understand your forgiveness and your love and your purpose for their lives? Would you give us, Holy Spirit, the power uh, to take that intentional step, to be ready to share with these people, um, and would you prepare us for the mighty work that you're going to do through us? We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.